Great. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here with you today in just a really unusual Baptist church. Um, when I was first asked if I would come to Dural Baptist, I thought maybe it's near Nowra or something. It just sounds rural to me. Um, you know, I come over and I work with Baptist World Aid regularly as one of their directors. And I think you know Marbs. He's come here before and uh, he's your state relationship officer. So I'm like, do you have any church that you just need me to connect with? Because I'm here for the weekend with my husband. We're staying with friends. And he picked you. So in 30 minutes, you can tell me whether that's good or not good. <laughs> for me, it's great. And Mark and I have loved just driving through the beautiful bushland to get here. We went right down um, all the different roads that just go. You don't even know you're in Sydney, do you? It's the most gorgeous spot of this city to be in. And uh, thank you for having me. I do understand you're in a bit of a turbulent time as a church. I don't know what this last year has been like for you as a family or as a couple or as an individual. Um, but in this season of Lent, we get to just pause and just po focus on different things in different weeks. And I thought it was quite, um, quite a blessing to me to be able to unpack that scripture that was just read to you, but also to understand what a season of preparation is all about. When Ken gave me the scripture and the, the topic, as you do, um, you know, I just spent time considering this and going, what does it mean to me? What would it mean to them? But what does it mean to you? I really believe God has a word just for you as a church. As this week and the last weeks have unfolded, I've become more and more convinced of that. So if you just take one thing home this morning that will help you in the season you're in personally, or maybe professionally, or as a church, then I, I, I know you will be blessed. Um, you know, we've gone through a really tough time in our country these last month or two with the fires here in New South Wales. You've got to know all of Australia was praying for you. I preached in a church a few weeks ago and I showed footage of the New South Wales fires and the firefighters who were not growing weary in doing good. I was preaching on Galatians 6 where it says, don't get weary in doing good because in this right season, in God's season, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. And there was this image that went right across Australia, right from the heart of New South Wales, of these firefighters who had probably worked for 10 more hours and they're laying, you may have seen it, laying on the road, just utterly exhausted. And I wonder if that's how you feel sometimes. I wonder if it's the end of a year where you're like, whoa, how fast did that go? <laughs> but how tired am I? And, you know, as I reflect on Mark and I in our year, um, we have had the ups and downs of that as well. When I look at our world, you know, four days ago, Baptist World Aid was ready to respond to the typhoon that was hitting the Philippines. It was a blessing that they didn't have the casualties. To date, there's a dozen who have lost their lives, but hundreds of thousands displaced. Because I'm not always in the office over here, I'm watching on Thursday, we had this meeting and... Uh, the Director of Community Engagements, which is ready to mobilise the disaster response team. He's got his phone. He's like, I can be in the meeting, but I've got to be ready because if this typhoon, when it hits, we need to be able to respond to our partners and give them what they need. I'm always impressed by Baptist World Aid when I sit in those spaces because there's a group of six people across the organisation who will get media releases, will get programs equipped, will get resources to the field. They're in constant communication almost hourly with our partners in the Philippines. 
So there's hardship happening there. There's persecution in our world. But, you know, some of us have had a year where we just go, we're tired, but it's been great. For Mark and I, we became grandparents for the first time seven weeks ago. Anybody? Yeah, come on, that deserves a round of applause. Mark is the most excited when Zoe, she's seven weeks old, comes to our house. We are those people for an hour looking out the window like, when are they here? We're pacing around, we're getting ready for, I don't know, the baby to come. And it's, we've got to make, anybody else aware of this? You have to make the effort to say hello to your son and daughter-in-law as well as the baby that's arriving. Because as soon as they walk in with this child in their arms, we're like, Zoe, oh, hello, Daniel, hello, Julia. And then we just be sodded with this child. Two weeks after the baby was born, our daughter got married, which, by the way, we had been planning for a long time. But it was all colliding. I'm like, these kids have been on this earth 27 years and they decide to do everything in two weeks apart. That our son had his first child and our daughter got married to her first husband. No, just to her husband. And uh, we've had a season of celebrating and we put our nose up last week and went, I think the next season, we don't have to look after our kids as much. You know, the next season can be a little bit more maybe about us. And that's kind of where Zachariah was in that scripture that you just, that we just had read to us. He was in a good place. He had a burden, but he was just about to be selected to go into the very presence of God. He was a priest. He had been celebrating what God was doing. He was just about to enter into his presence, but he had a grief in that he and his wife had no children. And I'm wondering if that's someone's story here today as well. For our son and daughter-in-law, it was theirs for a while as they were hoping, that word hope, that God would answer their prayer and this little baby girl who's now here would arrive. Um, Fraser, I've got all those scriptures up there. I'm just not even going to put them up there because we just read them all. And we got us to a point where Zechariah had come into the temple. He'd gone into the inner part of the temple. He'd been chosen. It was his turn. And he stood there in front of an angel who presenced himself right in front of Zechariah. I don't know how you'd feel if an angel just stood right here today and said, here is the message for you right for now. And it's going to speak to the deepest desire of your heart. The only thing is when the angel said you will have a child with your wife, wife Elizabeth, Zachariah didn't believe him. In fact, we read where he says, um, how can I possibly have that because I'm not even, my wife is of an elderly age. And in a little while, we're going to unpack what happens when we doubt the word of God. But for now, the angel has said, this is what's going to happen. And these are the words he says about this little child that would be born. He'll be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or fermented drink. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. As a parent, I would love that assurance for my child. Even before he or she is born, the Holy Spirit will fill that child. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready, prepared the people for the Lord. Zachariah stands there and he hears this delivered. He'd been waiting for this. He'd been praying for this. But when it came, his response was not great at first. 
We can be on our knees praying for an answer and God goes, yes. And we're like, wow, now what do I do with that? Yes. When um, our son and daughter-in-law came to us, they, we didn't know their journey, but they had said for a year they'd been praying that they would conceive a child. They'd been hoping while they were waiting that God would answer their prayer. And Mark and I remember the day, you can pop that photo up there, when they came and said, "Our little, we are, have conceived a child, we've had the ultrasound and a little girl is about to be born. You know, on the day that this little one, she's about four weeks old there, on the day that she was born, she, Julia was induced in the morning. And uh, I had a prayer meeting I was at in the city with a group of women who were intercessors. I probably knew four or five of them. There's about 25 in this house. And I'd gathered to pray for our city of Perth. I knew Julia was in labour, but I thought she'll probably be in labour all day. I think I'll still go to this prayer meeting because what am I going to do? Just sit around and pace the floor. So this meeting was happening and around 12 o'clock, one of the ladies who I don't know, her name's Kay, she starts praying for the daughters of the city. So I had not said to anyone this was happening, but in the back of my mind, my daughter-in-law is in labour with a daughter of the city. <laughs> and this lady, Kay, starts praying and I don't know, um, I met Glennis this morning. Intercessors see things that we don't see. They feel things that we don't feel sometimes. Well, this lady, Kay, starts praying up a storm and she starts declaring what the daughters of the city will be doing in the generation to come. Do you know how excited I was standing there? And I couldn't contain myself. I stopped the whole prayer meeting. I'm like, stop everything. My daughter-in-law is giving birth to a daughter of the city right now. Well, the whole thing went up 10 notches. And those women started interceding on behalf of who I now know is called Zoe, this little baby girl. But this lady Kay, she's basically prayed. She said, God, I pray that the, the birth will ease, that this child will come soon, that you will intervene in this moment. I didn't know what was going on with Julia. Well, two hours later, we were called to the hospital. Mark and I got there half an hour before we were meant to and just waited outside the door because we were just so excited. And we went in and Julia's sitting there with this little treasure in her arms. And I said, what, how did it all go? Tell us the story. And she said, you know, at 12 o'clock, the doctor came in and saw her. And the doctor's like, this child has an umbilical cord wrapped around her neck three times. Every time you have contractions, her heart rate is dropping. She's in distress. So we're going to have to do an emergency caesarean to deliver this baby safely. And he said, I'll be back in 10 minutes and we'll get you down to theatre. So she, the doctor, she goes down to prepare this. At just around 12 o'clock, it wasn't an angel, but the spirit of the Lord told me to tell those women, get praying. The doctor came back at 10 past 12 and said, we'll just examine you one more time. But she wasn't even close to giving birth when the doctor had left. She basically looks at Julia and said, I don't know what's just happened, but you're ready to deliver this baby. So come on, let's get this baby out into the world. And literally 15 minutes later, this little girl was born, perfectly healthy. They quickly untangled her from the umbilical cord and she cried and did everything babies are meant to do in the first five seconds of life. So I told Julia what was happening in the prayer meeting at exactly the same time. And we were all overwhelmed. We, Mark, don't cry. He's crying now and that's going to make me cry. There was this sense of like, 
Um, I, I find it hard to explain in this moment. I haven't told this story before. But just a sense of you, your deepest hope and desire. And then God just comes and says yes in a miraculous way. He's done it before. He did it again. And he will do it in the future. God is in the detail. God is in new birth. God is giving purpose. He, God is a God of the miraculous. So let's go back to Zechariah and Fraser, let's have a little look at that, verse 18 to 20. What Zechariah says when the angel says, your wife's going to have a baby. He goes, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. <laughs> That's how I imagine he said it. I don't know if he had a sword, but I figure he's like, listen here, buddy. Do you know who I am? I'm a messenger of the Most High God. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. That Kairos time of God, usually not our timing, unfortunately, but at God's time. The next verses. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he'd stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife became pregnant for five months, remaining in seclusion. The Lord had done this for me, she said. In those days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from the people. So Zachariah was struck dumb. Elizabeth became pregnant. Five months goes on. But I have, there's this one little verse in verse 26 and 27. There's something else going on in this story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, where to? To Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to, a marry, uh, to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Mary giving birth to a son, Elizabeth giving birth to a son, both cousins, both in a season of waiting, both declared by Gabriel. That's a pretty good job for Gabriel. Gets to come down again, tell someone else. You know, it's the same response. Really? Are you sure? We then read that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And this is what we should be doing in seasons of waiting. They go and they start to be together and they start to share the waiting time together. They would have told stories. They would have shared physical struggles, morning sickness stories. I don't know what it was, but Elizabeth was just a little ahead of Mary they would have just encouraged each other in the season they were in, in this waiting time. And there's a few things for us to learn from this story about what we should do when we're waiting for the miracle, when we're waiting for the, that to come which has been promised. And here's the first thing. First thing we should do is be patient. Anyone love being patient? Can nobody put their hand up? Patience is difficult. We want it and we want it in our timing. But you know, God is more about what he's doing us within us in the waiting than he is in the delivering of what we want. 
New life takes time. Blessings are in the future. We're to keep hope when things are not going well. Not so much hope for what we can get or for the results, but hope in the Lord in the waiting. God is more interested in our character and in our growth than he is in our comfort and giving us what we want. God is more interested in what he's doing in us than what he is giving to us. So annoying. So difficult to walk. Because I'm talking about waiting period that lasted nine months. What if your waiting period is to last nine years? We have friends that are really deep life friends. And they're friends of our kids and just that family that you could just sit with and you pick up from where you took off last time. And Leanne is a dear friend of mine and we have known these guys for more than 25 years. And there's only a handful of people in your life you can say that about and that you're still all really close. You know, her husband has never walked across the line of faith. We have loved him. We have been with him. He has come to things that have been difficult for us. He's come to the welcoming ins and the departings of ministries. He's celebrated seasons of Christmas and Easter. But as far as I know, he's never crossed the line and taken Jesus as his saviour. We are waiting. 25 years later, still waiting. And in that season of being patient, there's a promise that the Apostle Paul prays over the church. And I love this. It's one of your words behind me. Romans 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope himself, that is who God is. He is love. He is hope. May he fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the season of waiting, hope is possible as we trust in the Lord. How can they be joyful when life's so hard? trust in the Lord. How about can they have so much peace when there seems to be so much turmoil around them? Their hope is in the Lord. God is a God of hope himself and God will do what he will do when he wants to do it. God will do what he will do when he wants to do it and we see it time and time again. Second thing we do, firstly we be patient. Secondly, stand together There was a coming together of these two women to encourage each other in the season. I don't know what they said in all those times, but I can guess. And it was much better to be together than it was to be apart. You're involved in Nepal, in the work in Nepal with Through Baptist World Aid. And I visited there last year and I stood in this mountain village of women who had come together. So we work with United Missions Nepal. They're a Christian organisation, a partner on the ground As you know, we don't go in there ourselves. We work with people who are in that country doing the work, loving Jesus and loving others. So we were with UMN, United Missions Nepal, and they had this village they wanted us to visit. And it was literally, I'm guessing, about five hours up a mountain to get to the top of where this village was. We're in a short wheelbase. Windows didn't work, so they just stayed down. We had our scarves wrapped around our heads to just be able to breathe through all the dust that was coming in the windows. There was a landslide halfway up the mountain, so we had to get out and walk. I don't know why it was safer to walk. Figure if that thing started moving, you're better in a car. But anyway, we walked across all of the mud and the slush that had come down, got back in our vehicle. We finally get to this village, perched on the top of a mountain. 
and these women were waiting for us. You can pop the um, picture of these women up there. They, there was about 22 exactly actually in that room and about six of us and this lady second from the left told me a story. She stood up there and she said, um, you know, three years ago, you men came to our village, which is where the Hope for Nepal funds go to, these kind of projects. And they got us together and said, what do you want to change about your village? How, do you, how does your community need to develop? And it's led by the people. Again, not just us, us in, um, imprinting what we think. And they said, we want our children to go to school. They had a little village school and they had about 40% attendance rate in school. Your men said, well, why don't they go to school? I said, well, we actually grow a plant where we make local liquor in this area. And when the liquor is made, the men at night come home, they bring the liquor into the huts, they drink, and when they're drunk, they beat the women, the children are distressed, they beat the children and the children don't go to school. It's just a vicious cycle. So you men said, well, what can we do to change the cycle? And they looked at each other and thought, alone we can't do anything. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years of cultural history here. But this woman had the idea, what if we stood together? What if we all decide not to separate, but we stand in unity? She wouldn't use that language, but that's what I'm saying. So she says to me, we decided to make a law for our village. The law was the men can't come home and drink in the huts and beat us. They're not allowed to bring liquor inside. And if they do come home and beat us, we will all get together and beat them. (laughs) I know all the men are like, what? I'm like, probably couldn't do that in Australia, but okay. Of course I asked the question, did anyone come home and drink liquor? And, you know, I'm kind of being a bit cheeky. And she just looked at me with this dead pan face and just said, only once. (laughs) Then she started to get animated and she said, it started to change everything. So we made another law and they're all, you know, talking to each other. She said another law that they're not allowed to drink. There was no liquor allowed in the whole village area. It had, And she said, we put a fence around our village. The women did. And no one was allowed to bring drink inside that area. And then, and she goes on to tell me that 98% of children are in school now, three years later. And then she said, must have said stand up. It was all through an interpreter. About six of the women stood up. They were now at school with their daughters because they had never been educated. That wasn't anything that was offered to women in that community. So they were now at school and one of them was graduating with their daughter from the, the highest level that you could just a few weeks after we were there. She said, we now have people who are not tired, not distressed, marriages are better, families are better, peace is in the village. And it started because they just had the idea, what if we stood together? Strength in unity. What if we didn't just say one lone soldier but an entire army? And they were an army. And the, oh, that's one story of so many that are happening right throughout Nepal. Stand together. Be patient. God will do what he will do when he wants to do it. And then thirdly, build your faith. I look at Elizabeth and I look at Mary and they would have told themselves stories of what God had done. 
They were both from the, well, Elizabeth was from the line of Joshua and of Aaron. And they knew the stories of their ancestors. They knew the stories of Egypt. They knew the stories of the Red Sea, of the deliverance. They knew the stories of the wilderness. They knew the stories of going into the promised land, of the spies. They would have reminded themselves of what God has already done. And they would have built their faith. He'd done it before. He could do it again. We read that when Elizabeth's baby was born, this is what happened. She gave birth to the child and everyone gathered. What are you going to call the child? Zachariah? After the father? She says, no, John. So then they go to Zachariah, who still cannot speak. He said, Zachariah, Elizabeth wants to call the baby John. What do you want to call it? The fir- and he writes on the tablet that he was using, John. And at that point, we read in Scripture, his lips were released and he could speak again. And then we read one, some of the first words out of his mouth are praises to God. Praises for what God has done. We read, I've not got it on the screen, Luke 1, 67. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them. He then goes through all these praises of what God has done to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. That's a long time ago. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear, to holiness in righteousness before him all our days. And then he swings around to this little baby boy, John, eight days old. And you my child, he begins to prophesy. We'll be called a prophet of the Most High. You'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. That's what you're going to do, son of mine. When I held little Zoe in my arms and I remembered the prayers of the city over this daughter of the next generation to come, I wondered, what is over her life? I will have to wait a long time to see it. I'll need to be patient in the waiting. We'll need to stand as a family and encourage her, stand as a family and speak life into her. And then reminder of the stories. This is what Jesus has done. One of my favourite photos on my WhatsApp Zoe fan club group, which is Mark and I and Julia's parents. Daniel, our son, is sitting there with this four-week-old baby and with the Bible stories book and he's reading her the story of Adam and Eve. And Julia must have taken a photo and she just sent it to us. I'm like, he's starting early. What a great start. Telling her the stories of faith. In that photo, her little eyes are just staring at her daddy. And I'm like, that's the posture we need to have with God. I remember when you did this. Dural Baptist. Been around for more than four decades. I remember, some of you would say, when we came into this space. I remember the meetings where we dreamt of being a community centre that wasn't just a church in a church building, but was a centre for the community to gather all week round. I remember that. I remember that hard time about five years ago. We got through that one. Oh, I remember that amazing Christmas. Do you remember this? 
That was incredible. Tell the stories of faith. Tell the stories of what God has done. Strengthen your faith. Build your faith. We need to pause. We need to remember. And we need to believe. I'm going to finish um, telling you a personal story of mine. Adam's going to come and help me with this. Um, I had gone through a, a bit of a rough season myself. I think I was just tired, just busy and life was full and someone recommended me to go on a day's retreat. And I thought, a day's retreat sounds really hard to me. To be quiet for a whole day and meditate. I don't know what you do on a quiet meditating day. So I did what I thought. I took my laptop took my phone, took my music, took my thermos, took my deck chair, took everything I could take that would subconsciously possibly distract me from the day. Because I needed a retreat day and I was preaching the next Sunday. Ken, you've never done this, but secretly I thought, I'll just write my sermon today. That'll work. <laughs> it was a Tuesday. So I got all the paraphernalia and all, the, all the, what I now see as noise and took it with me, went out to this vineyard that looked a little like this. And I took my deck chair, took my snacks and my music and everything, and I just sat there and I plugged in and plugged on and uh, I couldn't hear God. Surprise. And I thought, I love worship music, hence why I love people like you, Adam, who just bring the anointing of the sounds of heaven because it makes a difference, doesn't it? And it just, so I started to put this reflective music on. I thought, what do I do? I've got like four hours to fill in. <laughs> and something inside me, wasn't an angel, but I suspect it was the Holy Spirit, guided me to write a letter to Jesus, remembering, building my faith. A love letter. You know, a, a year or so later, I was to include it in a, a book that I wrote. But I wanted to, it's the last chapter of that book. And uh, I wanted to read it to you this morning by way of encouraging you. Maybe it's something you could do this week. Take 30 minutes and just reflect on your journey of faith that might have been just a month ago. You found this incredible answer. Or it could be a lifetime ago that Jesus started walking with you and you with him. That whatever the distance the memories will be there. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I came to check out this place and just see what church is all about. Then this could be your story and you could begin it today. I put a heading. You chose me, I chose you. Because I'm a school teacher in my past and organized. Lord, I said, we've been walking this journey of life for a while now. You came to me as a child and gently and tenderly walked with me through those early years, years of insecurity and trying to find out who I was, years of feeling the rebellion in me want to rise up and threaten to take hold when my strongest feeling was that I was so different from others, I just didn't know how to fit in and I wanted to. Part of me didn't, yet another part longed for belonging. You were with me through years of painful friendships, of good and bad choices, years where I felt that I disappointed others more than I blessed them. Each time I'd come back to you and you would gently remind me I was greatly loved, that I was cherished. I was your daughter who you'd created for great things, the greatest of which would be to live hearing your voice 
and just responding with a yes in my heart to you. That wouldn't be a hard thing for me because you'd placed a gift of faith in my heart at a very young age. I always knew you were there and could do anything. I sensed your greatness well before I even understood it. I just had to learn how to rest in it and not strive for it. Through the times of self-doubt and guilt, you never judged. When others shunned me, you gathered me close and extended your arms of grace towards me. When I felt most alone, you were close. You whispered to me in the darkest hours and encouraged the dreams you'd placed in my heart. I would talk to you late at night, imagining you were right there in the room, and you were. You spoke words of hope into my soul and set my life on a different course, yours. You gave me the courage to be different, to embrace and find strength in that difference and to have courage in whatever came my way. You wiped away the mistakes and tears of the past. I don't carry the heaviness of shame or failure. I'm free to live without those burdens because of what you did, Jesus. Lord, where would I be if not for you? I chose you and you came close to me many years ago. It's been that way ever since. I've loved you, followed you. You've been my strength and constant guide. We've walked through sunshine, through disappointments, through despair, through months of great joy and those where I have wept tears of deep sorrow and all the while you've been with me. You never left my side. Wherever this life takes me, I'll walk with you. Stay close. Breathe life into each day. I choose you. One of the best days of my life. Remembering patiently and celebrating the goodness of God. He's done it before. He'll do it again. He's loved us when we were formed in our mother's womb. And he loves us now. And if you'd allow me, I'd love to pray for you as a church in this preparation candle day, in this season of waiting, in a time where it's good to reflect and go, God is God. We will wait. We'll do it together. And we will celebrate his faithfulness. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up and uh, they're going to lead us in a song. Why don't we all stand together? And uh, I'm going to pray. And, you know, this morning, if anything I have said or anything more importantly God has whispered to you has really just unraveled you a little. I find that's what happens to me. I get unraveled by the Spirit of God. And you would love someone to pray with you. Then over in the corner at the back up there, there's some chairs and a quiet, safe place. You can just walk up there and Glennis and her team this morning will meet you and pray with you. And hey, if you're someone today who's been exploring all of this and you're like, if that's the journey of faith, I want that. If that's you, just go and talk to Glennis and say, hey, I'm making a commitment today. I don't even know what this means, but I want to step into that space. A saviour who will always be with you. Then you head up there as well after this song. Is that okay? Can we just bow in prayer? Father, in this moment, we, we acknowledge all that you've done. We acknowledge all of your blessing. We acknowledge you as our Saviour and Lord. 
In a few weeks' time, we will be celebrating the birth of the little baby that changed the entire world. But for for today, God, we sit in the waiting. We sit in the preparation. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for cleansing. We ask, God, that you would knit us together in a way that we don't even understand, that you would get our hearts ready for the promise that is to come. And, Lord, for those who are in a struggle right now, I pray, Lord, your spirit would settle on them today and encourage their heart. I pray, God, you would knit people closely together to walk this journey together without, with their eyes completely on you. And, Father, this church has been influential and a blessing to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. And we know that that will continue. And I pray, God, your hand of blessing would release all sorts of gifts and goodness for the future ahead. We thank you that we serve a living God, that you will do what you will want to do, when you want to do it, and we trust you with that, Jesus, in your name. Amen.